The world of agriculture technology is vast and constantly evolving, with new innovations and companies emerging at a rapid pace. At AgTech Media Group, we understand the importance of staying updated and connected in this dynamic industry, and that's why we're thrilled to announce the launch of our new AgTech Company Directory, a comprehensive and user-friendly resource designed to help you navigate the complex landscape of AgTech innovators. More than just a list, it's a curated collection of companies leading the charge in transforming the AgTech sector from startups pioneering new farming methods to established companies adopting cutting-edge technologies. Our directory spans a wide range of leaders dedicated to advancing agriculture through technology. Whether you're a farmer looking for the latest in crop monitoring tools, an investor seeking promising ag tech startups, or a researcher interested in sustainable farming practices, ag tech directory is designed to cater to your specific needs. You can filter by sector, technology, size, or location to find exactly what you're looking for. To learn more and to claim your company listing, visit agtechcompanies.com. If you are starting a vertical farm and don't know where to begin or which technology would suit your needs, then reach out to the experts at Cultivated. As indoor farm brokers, they help connect you to the right technology and ensure your project is successful. Best of all, their service is free because they work on behalf of their partners. Visit cultivated.com to learn more. And that's spelled C-U-L-T-I-V-A-T-D.com or click the link in the show notes. So we are looking for people that, that get really, really jazzed by what we are doing. So literally the mission and vision of the company that share our values, that know that something has to change. And it's going to take a collection of you know entrepreneurial, visionary, courageous people to come into work every day and create this industry. And that is what we're doing. Welcome to the Vertical Farming Podcast, weekly conversations with fascinating CEOs, founders, and ad tech visionaries. Join us every week as we dive deep into the world of vertical farming with your host, Harry Duran. Vertical Farming Podcast Season 3, welcome back. First time listeners, you're in the right place if you're looking for a show where we talk to fascinating CEOs and founders of the leading vertical farming companies or controlled environment agriculture companies or greenhouse companies occasionally. And you'll learn more about why I bring all those up uh, as you stay tuned for the interview today. I'm Harry Duran, and I want to thank you for making time out of your day to listen to these episodes. And I don't take your listenership lightly. So if you've been listening, whether it's since episode one, season one, or you just found us, welcome. Last week, we had a great conversation with Nona Yehia and Caroline Croft Este, co-founders of Vertical Harvest. The ladies are doing some amazing work in Jackson Hole, and I was really inspired by their stories of how they came together and even their model for how they hire workers with disabilities. It's really, really inspiring. Please, if you haven't checked that one out, give that one a listen. I'm grateful for an additional sponsor this episode. It's Indoor AgCon. Whether you're starting up or scaling up, Indoor AgCon can help you grow your vertical farming business. Live and in person this year, the premier trade show and conference for vertical farming and controlled environment agriculture heads to Hilton, Orlando from October 4th to 5th. You can explore an expo floor filled with new product resources and business solutions, attend idea-packed educational sessions led by top CEOs and thought leaders, and connect with peers and potential business partners at great networking events. 
Learn more and take advantage of early bird registration at indoor.ag, and you can save an additional $100 off registration with our promo code VFPOD2021. And I'll be sure to have all those links in the show notes, so you can take a look there as well. This episode is also brought to you by the Vertical Farming Weekly Newsletter. Kudos to our team member, Daniel Dre, for doing all the research to bring you those weekly updates. Sign up today at verticalfarmingweekly.com. If you enjoyed this episode or past episodes, leave a rating and a review at ratethispodcast.com forward slash VFP. I'll definitely read it out on next episode. Okay, enough from me. Let's hear from our fantastic guests. So Dave Dinesen, CEO of Cubic Farms, thank you for joining me on the Vertical Farming Podcast. My pleasure, Harry. So we are in April 2021. And I'm curious to ask, given the tumultuous year and a half we've all experienced globally, has there been a takeaway for you when you look back and what we've been doing? I know we've all been through varying degrees of uh, ups and downs. I'm, I'm wondering if there's something that stands out for you over the past year, year and a half. Well, being in the ag tech space, the pandemic has shown that our the world we live in, which is you know centralized farms relying on diesel fuel and jet fuel to get food to where people live. It already wasn't sustainable and it was already being questioned and challenged and needed to change. But the pandemic showed that we can have borders closed. We can have a world where we don't have airplanes landing in every airport every 30 seconds. And so, you know, you add these things together and being able to localize commercial scale, you know, quantities of food is a necessity. I mean, a third of the planet already has to you know, import all their food. That's only going to get worse. So all of these things together, it made me you know, appreciate the industry that, you know, it's certainly an emerging industry, but boy, is it necessary. So it, that's been, you know, right thing, right time in history. Yeah. Yeah, that's been a common thread in the conversations that I've had, especially as, as I actually kicked off the podcast in the middle of the pandemic. So it, was, it made very apparent the need for local access to food the need for different ways of getting food delivered to people, fresh food, and even people's definitions of, you know, what that looks, what fresh food looks like, and the possibilities of what can be grown in-house. So can you talk a little bit about how the industry has grown, evolved, changed since you got started with Cubic Farms in 2015? Sure. So the technology actually started in development uh, as far back as 2010. Our founders are Dutch greenhouse uh, propagation farmers, and they started you know, messing around with this kind of technology, sort of leveraging that lifetime of innovative ag tech. So going way back. And back then it was early. You know, LED light efficiencies and spectrums were early. The public perception of it early. Different groups willing to be your customers early. And so, you know, good news is that a lot of these things have really begun to mature. So, you know, the the industry is sort of coming into its own. So, for example, seed companies are now making, you know, seed varieties that are optimized for indoor hydroponic growing under LED lights. And, And now I think people are looking for this kind of produce. They're seeking it out. Yeah. So it's gone from being, you know, very early to... Now it's, you know, hurry up, you know, we need more of it. I've certainly seen demand change. I've also seen the number of players in the industry change. You know, it felt like, you know, way back we were sort of, there was only a handful of us. But now there's certainly lots of people getting into that localized growing, which is what we need. You know, we're focused on the technology space at Cubic Farm. So we developed the automated indoor commercial scale technology 
for both growing plants, vegetables, and live green animal feed. We have we have two divisions. So we're focused on the technology, and then we you know provide that technology to farmers to grow commercial uh, quantities locally. So we aren't doing the growing, uh, but we are you know we are farmers to begin with, developing technology, supplying that technology to growers, and there's just far more demand for this kind of technology than there was even just 24 months ago. I'm always interested in origin stories and how you know the founders got connected to you. So can you talk a little bit about you know how you were introduced to them, how that meeting went, and and then also curious about what it was about their story or about those conversations that convinced you that the move to Kubrick Farms is something that you wanted to do as your as the next step in your career. Sure. So I'm actually very good friends with one of the founders of the technology. His name is Leo Benny. We've been very, very close friends for almost 20 years. And uh, I was I had started another company uh, called Backcheck. It was a human resources technology company. Started that in 1997, sold it in 2012. And, and so I saw the beginnings of Cubic Farms when I would you know, go and visit my friend and see a cool thing that he's doing. He had already built a very large, actually the largest propagation greenhouse operation in North America, Bevo Farms. So a very well established ag tech expert. And he was building, you know, beginning to build the next thing. And I saw this, this machine that was able to produce enormous amounts of produce with very little energy and very little labor. And it was very different than anything else out there. And I always said to him, boy, if I ever had the time, I want to get involved in that. And I sold my company, had a short period of, of retirement at the ripe old age of 45. And uh, he phoned uh, one day and said, you know, I think this is ready. You know, do you want to put a team together and and, uh, and start taking this to market? So that was 2015. And uh, so five and plus years have gone by very, very fast. It's always interesting because, you know, being an entrepreneur myself, I always wonder about the mindset as you think about building a team and thinking about strategically, like, who do you want to hire? When do you want to hire them? How quickly do you bring a team on? Do you go to try to raise money as quick as possible? So what was going through your mind in 2015 as you're thinking about those things? Sure. So 2015, because we were focused on the technology side, so automating indoor farming, who is your customer? Like even just figuring that out took a little while. So early on, it was, yeah, I'm a hands-on entrepreneurial guy. And so we, we began to very slowly put the team together. So, you know, early biz dev type person, we need to get a website up, you know, like you're literally starting from zero and coming from a company that I just sold that, you know, had uh, 2,300 employees, you know, it was literally going from, you know, okay, I, I need to fill the photocopier with paper myself, you know, so it was literally beginning to build the team from ground up. So started by raising a little bit of seed money. So myself and a couple others funded the initial, along with Bevo Farms, we funded the initial capital, did our first few hired. So, you know, your first few engineers and uh, growers and, and then you slowly begin to put that team together and you slowly begin to figure out who is your customer. Um, and, you know, you, you need time to make mistakes and learn lessons. And, and you know, it took us, uh, we've been more than doubling every year. Each year at our Christmas party, there, there's always a bet. Okay, how many people in the company this time next year? So I think in 2019, we were at 40-something. And this year, we were at 90. So we're literally, you know, growing very, very quickly. And fortunately, able to, you know, attract, you know, some of the best talent on the planet in the space. So, yeah. 
What do you think is happening right now in the space that people are looking at this as a potential career and some people even changing careers completely coming from a space that's not controlled environment agriculture, you know, not vertical farming, but they see something in either, you know, what you're building or the potential for this to to do good for the planet. As you have those conversations with with new hires and, and people that have been on the team, what's the sense that you're getting for for you know what's what's driving people to take part in this journey with you? Yeah, so it's a great question and one that we're passionate about. So we are looking for people that that get really, really jazzed by what we are doing. So literally the mission and vision of the company that share our values, that know that something has to change. And it's going to take a collection of, you know, entrepreneurial, visionary, courageous people to come into work every day and create this industry. And that is what we're doing. So just lately, we've been able to attract some top talent. Most recently, Eduardo de Martin, who is the general manager of Microsoft uh, in Vancouver, uh, one of the top, you know, ag tech guys on the continent. Sorry, ag technology guy on the continent made the shift from Microsoft to Cubic Farms. You know, a guy that could literally go anywhere, write his own ticket. You know, one of the most sought-after technology leaders, and he's joined us. And it was, he wants to do something meaningful for this, you know, next chapter of his life, something that he's proud to show his kids that truly will make an impact. And that's been a very common theme, I would say, for the last couple of years of the new talent that's come our way. And one of the things that we've just done to further that is we've just started, and so we're, we are publicly traded, and we've just started an employee stock participation program where employees can invest a, you know, a percentage of their, their paycheck in stock and the company will match it. So, you know, in a sense, you get to buy shares at half price, you know, to you as the employee, right? And I'm so excited about our company investing in our employees in this way, because at the end of the day, they're the ones creating the value. And we need to attract and retain the very best talent. And they are going to be creating an industry. And I think it's so important that companies not only are doing something good, but as they're being successful in that, that they are sharing in that, you know, wealth creation, if you will, with the people that are creating the wealth. Far too many companies today don't do that. And it's why we have such inequity in the developing world where you have a handful of people that are, you know, I'm certainly, a, you know, capitalist and you know i believe in you know business and but at the same time i also believe in those that create the wealth should be absolutely sharing in it so we're super excited and really passionate so we're trying to give that passion back so you know you're coming and bringing your time your passion your talent and you're helping us create value we want to do whatever we can to give that back to the very people obviously our shareholders need to have a good return but i think our shareholders are excited that the people they're betting on every day, which is our wonderful staff, are also able to invest and share in that value creation. So we're, it needs to be reciprocal. And so I think everyone can feel that within Cubic Farms. Yeah. Is that a model or an ethos that you brought with you from previous management experiences? Or is that just a worldview that you've just, is, that has changed for you over time? I'm wondering how that, where that comes from. Yeah. So in my last company, I wanted as many employees as possible to have share options. We, we weren't uh, publicly traded, but we did have a stock option program. 
And so when we finally sold the company, it was one of the best days of my life is, you know, we had about 500 employees and there must have been at least 100 that did participate in our stock option program. And so, and often we were the first real job they had out of university. And so they were with us for, you know, five, six, seven years. And along that journey and bumps along the way, challenges, lessons, you know, all these trials of, you know, that anybody who's ever run a company, you know, there's lots of hard days. And, but because we had so many employees that were shareholders in the business, and they also invested when we raised capital. So we had all these shareholder, option holder employees. And it's not surprising to me that we became one of the largest in the world very fast. We were based in Canada. We were the largest in Canada. By, we were four times larger than all our competitors combined. And I credit that to our people. They just gave that extra because it was their company. It wasn't just my company. It was their company. And so when we sold the business, we were able to walk around and hand out very large checks to lots and lots of people, life-changing amounts of money. And they earned it. They earned every nickel. So they're paying off cars. They're putting down payments on houses, paying off student loans. Like this is life changing amounts of cash. And that was just one of the best days ever. And I want to do that again and again and again. Yeah. So anyways, I'm super excited about the people were, that are coming to work here at Kubrick Farms and that they can do really well for themselves and their families. And I'm hoping that our shareholders, people that invest in our company, want that at the companies they invest in. So yes, you want to invest in a company that's, you know, helping to feed the planet, localize food production, save water, you know, reduce greenhouse gases, all these things. And at the same time, treat the people doing the work as well as you possibly can. Like, anyways, that's the company I want to work at. That's the world I want to live in. So I can only affect where I work and what I do. So that's what I'm doing. Where do you think that you picked that up? You know, because you've held several man leadership positions in your previous companies. And I'm wondering if this is something that you can credit to previous managers, other mentors. I'm wondering how this sort of vision for you has been building over time. I think what one of the best examples I ever saw in it was the Canadian airline called WestJet. And they went from zero to second largest in the company really fast. And one of the things that went, whenever you would fly on, so there was WestJet and then there was Air Canada, the big incumbent. And whenever you flew on a WestJet plane, they were friendlier, they were happier. There was just, they were always on time. There was a buzz about it. There was just extra umph. And one of their things was, their slogan was, we care more because we're owners. And all their staff got to participate in equity opportunities. And you could feel it. You could feel it in the business. You still can today. And and that had a real impact on me. And also, I knew that, you know, I'm glad that I owned equity and the benefit that that had, you know, to me and, and my family. And I want that for people that I work with. I also want to be able to talk about that aspect of our company. We want to be a great publicly traded company. And... So we want excited shareholders. And I want to be able to talk about that with our staff. Well, it feels slightly self-serving if it's only myself and a handful of others that might be benefiting from an appreciating stock price. I want everyone you know, to be, you know, I want that to matter to everyone. And so this is another way to really align interests between staff, shareholders, 
the company, you know, it just brings everybody together. Because while we all want to do, there's that saying, you want to do well while you're doing good. Yeah. I want everyone in our Cubic Farms family to do well while they're doing good. We all want to do good, but you got to be able to pay the bills. You know, you want this to be worthwhile. And I want people, you know, great people. I don't want everyone to leave. (laughs) So, you know. Yeah. I wonder if for some of the employees to Cubic Farms, if this is something that's new for them and they've, it's not something they've experienced in previous companies. And I'm wondering, you know, what their reactions are when they start to experience a company that, that handles itself like this. Well, yeah, most don't, yeah, that they've never experienced it before. And it, it takes a little, I think we're all used to wondering, okay, what's the catch, right? It, like it, yeah. it's too good to be true. It, yeah. it, and so, well, there is no catch. We just, myself, I just want you to be excited, engaged and never leave. So that's the catch. If there's a bad part, you know, hopefully you're going to drink the Kool-Aid and not leave. But yeah, so it takes a while to wrap your mind around so I can, wow, that's really good. So, you know, so as we've been rolling this out, the enthusiasm, you know, it's just been fantastic and everyone's super excited. So it's just sort of getting used to that way of thinking because most of people only think, you know, sort of, you know, I, the only thing that matters is my paycheck, right? How much cash lands in my bank account? The thought of building wealth and equity, you know, over time by being a shareholder of the company I'm helping to create is new. And so it's it's a bit of a different shift in thinking. It feels like a hearkening back here in the States to like how companies were originally created like Ford and GM and, you know, taking care of pensions and just kind of like that mindset of always having in as a way of doing business, you know, thinking of how long term we can create stability for the people that work for us and security and then and, and i think for a while it feels like companies forgot about that <laughs> and we're just looking at employees as cogs and it, and it feels like you know the more i have conversations like this that companies are, are realizing the importance of you know the rising tide lifting every single boat in the company as well it has to shift the and i think this is the healthiest way to share because it's you know, if our company succeeds, then then all our employees succeed. If our company fails, well, it's, it's going to be, you know, partly everybody's fault. And so, and I think when you've got skin in the game, you're just going to make sure it doesn't fail. Like we are going to make sure that that order goes out on time, that that customer is happy, that we're winning. And when we have a good idea in the middle of the night, we're going to make sure that we share it the next, you know, like that's the kind of, you know, and companies that, that just try and do the opposite where they treat people as disposable commodities. Cause there's always someone behind, you know, this person yeah. willing to work. It just has to stop. It has to stop. And I think this is a healthier way than, you know, just taxing people heavier and asking, you know, for example, government to then distribute money, which is certainly what's, you know, what we're trending with more. Now I would much rather have more and more companies share as they succeed, you know, directly with those that are creating the wealth anyways. Because at the end of the day, you know, if, if a handful of people at the top, you know, make slightly less, it doesn't change their life at all. Yeah. But when you share that equity with those that are creating the wealth, that is life-changing To So that's, I think, the healthiest way to redistribute wealth myself. Anyways. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. Shifting gears a little bit. So as you came on board and you were looking at the current landscape of what other companies in the space were offering, 
what markets they were serving to uh, you know whether they were going to focus on b2b b2c or you know even serving farmers as you do with your offerings how did you think about that in the beginning and was that clear from day one who you wanted to serve I wouldn't say it was clear from day one because we were certainly trying to figure out okay we've got this machine that grows you know great commercial scale quantities of produce in an energy and labor efficient way well now what like you know how do you turn that into a global ag tech business so it was you know a few years of figuring that out how do you take this technology to market who's your customer how do you scale it and all of those sorts of things and we saw in the market that there was beginning to be companies that were a bit more b2c so i'll sell you infrastructure to grow sort of smaller amounts locally and a wide variety wide variety of harvest dates wide variety of cultivars so and i know there's a huge market for that and that is a much needed thing to do and i think it's great so you know there's a few companies that have emerged that are doing that sort of thing our machine works really well when you want to grow enormous quantities often of the same thing and you want to harvest enormous quantities a few times a week and service you know larger institutions larger retails food service things like this so we saw that our things best so we typically won't sell one machine at a time we we will for propagation you know if you just want to propagate you know lots of seedlings yeah. you know or it's some sort of other application but you know, we'll often sell, you know, 15, 20, 25 machines at a time. And then that gives you the volume variety and harvest dates. So we saw that there was a spot in the market and needed for commercial scale automated indoor farming. So I don't expect that in a city there's ever going to be, you know, 50 different cubic farming, you know, companies, you know, there's going to be, you know, one or two and they're going to be large and that's really been our focus is larger larger scale indoor automation and then you know yeah so for the benefit of the listener who may not be familiar with cubic farms can you outline what your current offerings are and what which markets you're serving sure so the company has two specific divisions so there are cubic farm division the first one grows plants so we do hydroponic indoor automated farming so our machines are built inside stainless steel growing chambers we do use the same shape as a 40 foot high cube shipping container but this isn't container farming we use that as a convenient growing shape so that we can manufacture centrally and then ship our machines pretty much ready to go and and then we'll assemble them as a system so as i say you know we'll put 15 20 of them together so a couple of machines for propagation and then a whole bunch for cultivation and then a, an irrigation system. So it'd be a larger system. And that, you know, 20 machine setup is going to produce, you know, millions of heads of produce a year. So that's one side of the business. So, and we can do obviously the leafy green space. We can propagate from seed to seedling most plants that can be grown hydroponically. So our propagation machine, it'll propagate even for like nurseries or greenhouses or at very high quantities with great germination success rates. So and then we can do edibles, non-edibles, nutraceutical ingredients, flowers. We've done trees for reforestation companies like, you know, there's lots of different crops that the machines can grow. 
of late, we've been focused on the leafy green space just because there's such an acute need. Like so many recalls with centralized farm shipping things, oh, yeah. and you know it's just been disastrous. And more and more vegan vegetarian diets requiring more and more localized leafy greens, and more and more demand from the public just because they they all taste so good. Like once you've started eating this kind of grown produce, you struggle to go back. You know, so the demand's there, so we're certainly focused on that. So that's what the cubic side of the business or the plant side of the business. The other technology that we have is a company called Hydrogreen. And we actually are able to grow commercial scale amounts of live green animal feed. So in other words, we can recreate grazing lands indoors. So it's not that the animals run around and graze indoors. It's that one of our Hydrogreen machines is 80 feet long, 20 feet high, 10 feet wide, and it's eight layers high. It will produce the amount of live green feed, the equivalent to 200 acres of grazing land. So using a fraction of the fresh water and consistently, Mm -hmm. you can have all the grazing lands in the world, but if they're covered in frost and snow, they're not overly helpful. Or if you don't have the fresh water available to irrigate, not very helpful. So our hydrogreen technology literally lets uh, livestock farmers feed, you know, dairy, beef, camel, sheep, goat, racehorses, whatever you're, you know, you're able to feed them with live green feed every day consistently. Now your animal is going to perform better. You can have more animals per acre. Their manure is far less nutrient dense, so much better for the environment. The animal lives longer. They have more babies. You'll get more milk, better quality meat. You know, you'll finish animals faster. They'll perform better. So you're treating the animal well. You're looking after the environment well. Yeah, it's just so needed in this world. Have you noticed or was anything surprising for you in terms of the different industries that were starting to see applications for your technology? So you do mention botanicals, nutraceuticals, and that in previous conversations, it's something that struck a chord for me. It's just, there was like sort of like an aha moment, like, wow, I didn't realize this could be used for this application. Yeah, probably the strangest one that I'm just thrilled about is that there's a group called Agrigene in California, and they do biologicals. So biologicals is growing good bugs to eat bad bugs, maybe in a greenhouse, or you can do you know bugs for alternative proteins and things, right? It's in a real emerging market. They actually bought one of our systems to grow the uh, larvae and, and, mm. and bugs in. So yeah. you know we advertise, you know, don't need pesticides because there's no bugs in our machines, yet someone bought you know, a system to put bugs in. So because the machine is so flexible, we have several watering solutions, several different tray designs, the same machine. It's like we've built the iPhone and the farmers are coming up with the apps because there's so many different crops that you can grow in these systems, yet very, you know, flexible food grade automated, you know, system. So we're the indoor tractor of farming and farmers are going to figure out lots of things to use that tractor for right yeah it's one of my earlier conversations with 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 virginia emery and, and she's the founder of beta hatch and they actually grow insects indoors as well so it's, it's been fascinating to see all the applications and all the it's interesting to to know that your technologies can be adapted to these different use cases which is fascinating Yeah, our machines are patented and it's the undulating path that is a very powerful part of our patent. It lets us have only one row of light at the top, yet hundreds of trays of plants or in this, you know, one case bugs, you know, growing. And yet you can use every cubic foot of space. You don't need hallways for people because the machine brings every tray to the front for harvesting and planting. 
So you're reducing your labor, reducing your energy. So then it's just, okay, well, what else can we grow? And so we've developed a few watering systems, a few tray designs, and it's just a very flexible, you know, powerful piece of kit. Yeah. You've also recently won a an award from the Dairy Farmers and Nexus Innovation Award, I believe it was. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, we're very proud of that. Uh, 300 different uh, companies considered. And uh, so w- winning that, you know, it's being, that's for our, our hydrogreen technology. So the live green animal feed. Farmer, livestock farmers know that that is, it, it's just such an, a crucial change in how they're feeding animals to be able to, you know, reduce the amount of land required, reduce the water, and yet feed the animal better than they've ever been fed before. You know, it's the combination of all these things. And then the animal rewards you by performing better than they've ever performed. I mean, livestock farming, you know, is, is responsible for a significant amount of greenhouse gas emissions. So just that, yeah. forget about all those other benefits. If you just mm-hmm. talked about the greenhouse gas issue, hydrogreen significantly reduces uh, greenhouse gases by both reducing the amount of gases from the fermenting ruminant, so the animal waste, because they're able to absorb the, the nutrients so much more readily and, and then they're not then passed through their waste. And then because you're able to, you know, feed in a much more sustainable way, you know, the growing of the feed is much more environmentally friendly. So you add these things together and there's a significant environmental impact, but then there's also all these other benefits to the farm, the animal, the consumer. As you think about the how fast and the industry is growing, and even just from the, the time I've been hosting the show, it's been so interesting just to, if you just watch the news, there's lots of funding coming in, lots of money entering the space. What has you excited about where the industry is headed? And, and also, can you talk a little bit about any relationship you have with other colleagues in the space as well? Because the industry as a whole hasn't been able to get together for almost a year and a half now. Yeah, so uh, one of our shareholders is uh, Osprey Ag Sciences, and uh, they invest in in other you know similar sort of farming ag tech uh, businesses. So they've been great at bringing together you know their portfolio companies, which we're now one, um, and just introducing CEO to CEO. So we share ideas, industry insights, things like that. So for example, we have a great relationship with Freight Farms. So Freight Farms, oh, yeah. you know, does the localized container farm. And we get along great because we're really, we aren't competing. We are serving very different markets, yet we can, you know, share, share stories and referrals and things like that. Agrigene is another example of that. There's another one called Love, local, urgen, uh, local urban vegetables, you know, that are building some really cool substrates. And so, yeah, th- th- there are opportunities to still, you know, fellowship and share ideas and, and things like that. And in some ways, it's almost been easier because it's actually fairly easy and efficient to do, a, you know, 90 minutes on Zoom. You can bash through a lot of stuff and you don't have to get on an airplane and stay overnight. And you know, so so if you want to stay in touch, you're in touch. And same with reaching out to different uh, investors. And, you know, it's actually easier. So I'm hoping when the pandemic you know, sort of ends that a lot of this doesn't change. We still need to meet people and share a meal, you know, yeah. but there's a lot that's good about this. I mean, as tragic as, it, as it's been, you know, optimistic people will find the positives. And, and one of them is less needless business travel and more efficient ways of building relationships. That's interesting. Yeah. And it, it, I think people who were questioning whether this 
was possible and even things like remote work, they were forced into the experiment, <laughs> whether they were ready or not. And I think surprisingly found that, you know, things not only survived, but in some cases thrived when you there weren't distractions that you would find in person or the need to commute and all that sort of stuff. So I think each company's handled and responded to it differently, but I think a lot of them were surprised at what is possible and speaking probably a little bit to what you were talking about as well. Yeah, I, I hope a lot of it sticks. I find, you know, meetings on Teams or Zoom, man, they're efficient. You can quickly share your screen and show what you're, you know, the room doesn't get stuffy because you got 30 people in it. You know, someone can please open a door, you know, yeah. like, there's lots to like. And I think we all like not commuting as much. Yeah, there's lots to like. I think, though, that we, we do need to make sure that we learn how to turn it off. Mm, yeah, you know, that's important. It's five o'clock. Okay, I'm done today. And, you know, yeah. that thing's going off. So otherwise, you just won't stop. So there's there's a bit of that. Yeah, there's things like uh, repetitive stress injuries or work injuries and ergonomics are now <laughs> topics that are coming to mind for people and, and employees as well, because I imagine people would have a tendency to probably perform longer just to demonstrate that they they are being active and and <laughs> you know, I think each company is there anything that you're doing differently because of what's happened and the changing environment in terms of how your organization is is running well we've had to get really good at uh, remote instruction so mm. it's forced us to you know to build a video and a training video for every nut and bolt and you know you've got to have those tools but the positive about that is now it's we see global expansion being much easier and faster yeah. because it's forced us to build these tools that can then be you know quickly translated and, and reused. So for scaling, it's forced us to build some things where we otherwise might have you know put someone on a plane and they you know so uh, that's been positive. I think our ability to reach and just get great talent and almost be agnostic as to where they are that's nice. Yeah. So. What do you think for you, as you think about where the industry is now and if it's any different than when you started in 2015, what do you see as challenges or opportunities for cubic farms going forward? I think the world is ready for it. I think in 2015, when we started, it was early. But I think fast forward, you know, five and a half years, the world is ready and not only ready, but anxious. And it's gone from a voice, you know, someone should probably do this to, you know, this needs to be done. We need to localize food production. So localizing food production within countries, borders, reducing the distance between where it's grown and where it's eaten is gone from a nice to have to a must have for so many reasons. So I think, you know, timing is certainly positive. And that's not only from, you know, our perspective customers, but our customers' customers. So, you know, the, the end, you know, the groups that want to pull this produce through or this live green feed through. Yeah, it's just the timings now. What's a, a tough question you've had to ask yourself recently? Well, probably turning down certain opportunities that present mm. itself. As you can imagine, my phone rings every day with, you know, can we expand to this country or can we, you know, acquire this company? Or the, So that there's a lot that I have to say no to on a very, very regular basis. A colleague of mine once said, if you're not kept up at night by what you're not doing, you're not focused enough. And I would say that that has been... Of late, the you know I've obviously you know run another large business and the discipline to stay focused and not get distracted and you know stay on task, on mission, on point. You know it can be challenging. It doesn't matter who you are. New and shiny is always exciting. And so I would say 
keeping that focus and executing has been as the industry accelerates and more and more opportunities present themselves, you're saying no to more and more things that deep down you're like, oh, I wish I could, you know, let's just start another division and do that. And let's, you know. I'm curious because I'm a fan of productivity and I, I even took a course called Building a Second Brain to learn how to process and like, you know, all these articles that come in, there's no shortage of information and, you know, whatever statistics you look like at, you look at, we've got more. I think it was something like, I'm probably butchering it, but we've received more information in the past like 10 years than in the past 100 combined or something like that. Some some crazy stat. So what do you do as, as a leader? Because we, you know, there's a lot of CEOs listening to the podcast as well and other founders. So what's worked for you? Any tips on how you actually manage that workflow and how you do, what's that decision process for you look like as you think about, is this something we want to work on? Is it not? And so is there some sort of, practice that you think through in your mind or, or that you work through to make those decisions? Sure. There's no other answer to that other than you got to have a great team. Mm. There's no way I could even begin to make, you know, should we do this or should we not do this decision on my own? No chance. So that's why I need spectacular engineers, growers, technology people, finance, business development, just, you know, every department, you know, every division of our business needs a great, great leader in that. And they need to be a thousand times better than I am at what they do. And so then having that team and I trust them and they're going to tell me, you know, you should look at this or, or I'll ask them. So if something comes across my desk and I think it's kind of cool, I'll send it over to one of my colleagues. And, you know, what's your thought on this? Or I'll send it to a couple of them and I'll ask for just that candid feedback. But you've got to have great people that are better at what they do than you are. And you've got to have that great trusting relationship and know that you're not going to have a blind spot. So, you know, there's that saying, nobody's perfect, but a team can be. And Mm. I just so subscribe to that. You've got to be self-aware. You've got to know what you're good at. More important, you've got to know what you suck at. And most of us are good at one or two things. And you've got to have great people that you trust doing all that stuff that you don't do well. Who do you look to for inspiration, either now or in the past, and has helped you to 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 shape the way you think about these th- these types of things? You know, there's certainly no shortage of great business, you know, books and leaders that you know. So, like the good, the greats, and you know, all of that. So, I'm a big subscriber to several of those things. But I have a handful of mentors in my life that will be candid and honest and who I respect. And and so surrounding yourself with great, smart people has just been crucial. I've got a fantastic chairman of the board who just adds value to my life every single day. And so as a CEO, having a supportive board where you know they have your back, that'll give you honest, candid feedback, but at the end of the day, they support you. That is so empowering and refreshing. And so having that candor and that trust, just so crucial. Yeah, like your brain trust sounds like what you're describing there. It's really important to have that at, at, by your side at all times. Crucial. What do you do to disconnect? Because as you just stated, it, it's very easy to be on all the time. But you know, for our own sanity and, and for your own mental health and well-being, I imagine you, you need to have some strict rules about you know how to disconnect and, and when and what's been helpful for you there. 
Yeah, so we're two things for myself personally. So one, I'm actually a professional musician as well. So I, I've, I'm in a band called Kick Drive, and we record albums. We've got a few on, you know, Spotify and Apple Music. So there's a shameless plug for Kick Drive. We'll make sure to include those in the show notes. <laughs> so I'm a lead guitar player, love playing music, got lots of musician friends. And so getting together and playing music is just a hoot. And then as a family, we were, we're avid boaters. So we spend a fair bit of time on the water. And um, I've found that to be almost life-saving that, uh, you know, no matter how stressful of a week, if you can untie the lines and float for a few hours, all of a sudden you're a million miles away. And, uh, and so I encourage, you know, a, a lot of, you've got to have that outlet. So whether it's golf or motorcycle, or I do a bit of that as well, not the golf motorcycle bit, <laughs> but yeah. you know, you've just got to have an outlet. You have to, and ideally with your family. So something that you can all share and make memories together and, uh, where they know they've, you, they've got you undivided attention and, and you've got theirs as well. So that's been crucial. So, yeah. What's uh, something you've changed your mind about recently? I think I used to be more jaded about the public markets because mm. this is the first company where I've been CEO and we've been public. And so I'm actually very excited about the fact that we are publicly traded because we've been getting some just great, great shareholders that are so supportive and that are excited about the next decade in this industry. Yeah. So, yeah, I don't know that that's an overly, you know, great answer to your question. You know, the beauty of it is that uh, I've received a wide range of answers to it when I've asked it. So and there's no wrong answer there. So thank you for sharing that. So just as, as we wrap up, like, as you think about where you've been, where you're at and where you're headed, what has you excited about, you know, the, the, the next couple of years? Uh, right industry, right time in history. And I've seen this movie before in, in my last business back check. It was an HR technology company we did, and we focused on background screening. Started in 1997 in Canada. Yeah. Nobody wanted to do background checks before they hired people in 1997. And then September 11th happened, and we were in the right business, right time yeah. in history, right country, and the business just exploded. And I would say that the pandemic has been that for this industry. And so I've felt this, I've seen this before, when you have this catalyst, this sea change, this tipping point, because we all knew deep down that localized growing needed to start happening, that yeah. sustainable growing had to start happening, that yes, we need things at a good price, everything needs to be affordable, but also where is it from and how is it grown? We got to finish that sentence. So it has to be affordable and accessible but it also has to be sustainable. So if you can finally bring all that together, and that's where the technology is now. And so it, it's gone from a nice to have to a must have, and then the pandemic has made it, okay, it is crucial because borders can shut. Ships can go sideways in the Suez Canal and suddenly, you know. So everybody's realized that the global supply chain for food is far more fragile than, than we've all sort of hoped it was. So right business, right time in history. And I get to have a front row seat at, you know, being a small part of it. Yeah. That's interesting that you have the perspective having gone through a, a similar experience before with, with your previous company. So knowing what the signs are, what to look for, and when you see them happening, knowing that that sensation like, oh, I'm going through this again, it's happening again. So it's nice perspective. So thank you for sharing that. 
So I, I really appreciate you just sharing your story. And, and that's really what this show is about, getting to know a little bit more about the, the founders and the CEOs of, of these companies that are doing some really exciting things in the controlled environment, agriculture space, vertical farming space. And I appreciate you you coming on and sharing your story, Dave. A pleasure, Harry. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I hope, hope we speak again. Yes, definitely. When uh, conferences are back online. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Thanks to Dave for coming on the show, spending his time, precious time with us and sharing his story. As always, full show notes available at verticalfarmingpodcast.com. For those of you that are not aware, we do a summary, timestamps, links mentioned, and a couple of quotes from the episode. And we're also starting to put together transcriptions for each episode as well as formatted PDFs, if that's easier for you to consume. So please check those out at the website. Thanks again to our title sponsor, Cultivated. If you're looking for a vertical farm and don't know where to start or which technology would suit your needs, reach out to them today. Best of all, their service is free because they work on behalf of their partners. Learn more at cultivated.com. And that's spelled C-U-L-T-I-V-A-T-D.com. Just leave out the last E. Additional episode sponsorship provided by Indoor AgCon. Take advantage of early bird registration discounts at indoor.ag, and you can save an additional $100 off registration with our promo code VFPOD2021. And we'll have that in the show notes. Podcast production and marketing provided by Fullcast. Sign up for a free podcast brainstorm at fullcast.co forward slash VFP. As a reminder, if you're enjoying the show, leave us a rating and a review at ratethispodcast.com forward slash VFP. We'll be sure to read those out on future episodes. Tune in next episode for my conversation with Charlie Guy, co-founder of Let Us Grow. Until we meet again, here's to your health. Thanks for listening. To read the full show notes for this episode, which includes any links mentioned in the episode, as well as a full show transcription, visit verticalfarmingpodcast.com. There, you can sign up for our email list to be notified when new episodes are published. <laughs>